This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, February 18th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The Biden administration wants to push the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour, but the benefits that would accrue to some workers have to be balanced against the costs of higher prices, fewer employment opportunities, and other costs that are largely going to be felt by lower-income Americans. Cato's Chris Edwards and Ryan Bourne comment. Chris, I want to start with you. What is Joe Biden proposing with respect to the minimum wage? Well, the current federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour, and uh, Biden and the Democrats are proposing more than doubling the mandatory minimum rate to $15 an hour phased in over a period uh, of years. Uh, This is uh, a completely unneeded policy initiative. Um, If state governments want to raise their own minimum wage, they can any time. And indeed, 29 states have higher minimums than the federal government. So unfortunately, uh, this federal intervention um, would cause a lot of uh, damage to small businesses and and entry-level workers, and it's it's an unnecessarily damaging policy intervention. Uh, Ryan, the uh, Congressional Budget Office says this will uh, reduce poverty and increase unemployment. What do you make of that assessment? Well, I think that's a fair reflection of where the general um, academic literature on this subject is. The thing is, with the minimum wage, there are clearly uh, massive, massive trade-offs here. So on the one hand, for those workers who are lucky enough to maintain their jobs and hours, of course, um, the companies that continue to employ them end up paying them a higher wage. And for certain people, that lifts them out of poverty, lifts them above um, poverty thresholds. Um, The problem with that is that a lot of people that are minimum wage earners are not poor in the sense that they don't live in, in poor households. Uh, They might be a second earner in their family. They might be a young person um, just entering the labor force. And the household that they're from might not be uh, in poverty. So the minimum wage isn't a particularly well-targeted policy for alleviating poverty. And of course, it comes with that massive trade-off that you highlighted there, that for younger, lower-skilled, less-educated workers, um, if you set the wage much higher than than the productivity of those workers, it can have big effects in terms of reducing their labor market opportunities. That might manifest itself in the form of uh, fewer job opportunities. It might manifest itself in uh, fewer hours than they would like to work being offered by employers. But when you have your opportunities restricted in your first jobs, it can have big scarring impacts later in life for those workers affected. To put a a couple of data points on that, 58% of minimum wage workers today are under the age of 24. So we are mainly talking about uh, lower skilled entry level workers. And the problem with minimum wages is, is that they, you know, young people enter the workforce, they get training and skills from their uh, initial low wage jobs that, that they Uh, take, just as when I was young and a teenager, I took many minimum wage jobs. I learned a lot. And the problem with minimum wages is they uh, eliminate the bottom rungs of the career ladder. So it makes it hard for people to break into the workforce and get skills. To you, Ryan, what is the distributional effect here? Uh, You know, large metropolitan areas uh, often will have a market wage that is well above the current minimum wage, perhaps as high as $15 or more. Um, How does this break down in terms of rural versus urban? 
Well, you're right to highlight that there is differential impacts depending on what the kind of prevailing wages are, which are determined overwhelmingly by productivity in an area. As Chris alluded to earlier, the effective minimum wage in the country is not actually $7.25. When you weight by populations that are living under higher at state and local minimum wages already, I believe that the effective minimum wage last year was already $12.80. And to the extent that you're going to have minimum wages, it's surely better that they're set uh, at the state and local level where at least, um, uh, you know, you'd imagine that policymakers might be a bit more responsive to, to local labour market conditions. So I think we do have to worry about the impacts on poorer and, and rural areas where this will be uh, a much bigger bite in terms of uh, the impact relative to prevailing wages in the area. And of course, it's a particularly pernicious time to be implementing this policy. Many of the industries uh, that, are, that have the highest proportion of, of low-wage workers are those that have been absolutely um, decimated by the impact of the pandemic, both in terms of business closures, as well as collapse in demand from customers, and having to make big investments in making their operations less efficient to uh, incorporate social distancing protocols. So all of these things, I think, makes this a particularly difficult time or a particularly damaging time to be implementing uh, such a such a process of, of sharp increases in the minimum wage. To put a couple of data points on uh, Ryan's uh, uh, observations about, uh, you know, the regional differences, currently the highest uh, average hourly wages in the United States are in Massachusetts. $32 an hour for t- in 2019. Uh, the lowest average weekly or sorry, hourly wages in the United States is in Mississippi at $19 an hour. So you have these massive differences in the country between $32 an hour in Massachusetts and $19 an hour in Mississippi. Obviously, it seems to me, the federal government imposing a top-down rule on the whole country doesn't make much sense. If individual states want to impose minimum wages, that should be up to them. I think it's bad policy, but there's certainly no reason for the federal government to come in and supersede um, these state decisions on this policy. One of the, I guess, claims about uh, the minimum wage and increases over time, this is a this would be a minimum wage increase uh, the Biden administration would like to see that would occur over a few years. What is the argument for not doing it all at once if if the claims about disemployment are overstated? Well, that's exactly right. I think the fact that this is being phased in shows that um, people recognize, even advocates of the policy recognize that there are trade-offs here. Um, and of course, you know, it is fair to say that there have been some academic studies over the past decade or so that have found uh, more limited impacts on employment levels as a result of more modest minimum wage hikes. But it's it's logically flawed to then suggest from that that the, the labour market can absorb much more aggressive increases. Um, and, and it's also true that um, this kind of inherent trade-off between wages and employment misses a lot of other margins of adjustment that employers might um, fiddle with as a result of a a big increase in their uh, fixed wage costs. It's no doubt that some employers will try and sweat their workers harder in order to try and increase productivity. And and that very much might feel like those workers, like a a deterioration in their their working conditions. It's true that some employers may be able to pass through uh, some of the increasing costs through to their customers in terms of higher prices. 
But what we tend to find when we look at the uh, literature on this is that consumers of industries um, with lots of low-wage workers also tend to be low-wage workers themselves. So the net impact in terms of uh, where this incidence falls, um, even if uh, the cost is passed through to prices, may still be very regressive. Why shouldn't states be uh, leading the way on this. Chris, you mentioned that 29 states have higher minimum wages than uh, the federal minimum wage. Where would this increase uh, put states that, uh, you know, are there states that have minimum wages that are $15 or higher? Uh, there's a number of states that have uh, legislation in place that will be raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, Florida, unfortunately, last year, uh, voters passed a, a referendum to uh, phase in a $15 an hour wage increase in that state. Uh, I think that's a mistake everywhere. Uh, I think, you know, before the pandemic started in 2019, we saw very strong wage increases uh, at uh, people at incomes across the board. The best way to raise the, uh, the welfare of people at the bottom is strong uh, market-led economic growth that raises uh, all boats. One, I want to touch on one thing Ryan raised, which is the damaging effect um, post-pandemic here, especially on small businesses of a minimum wage increase. Small businesses were damaged much more than large businesses uh, during the pandemic, and they're struggling to recover now. Uh, the average uh, wage at the smallest businesses in America is about $970 a, a week. But for the biggest business, it's almost double that, about $1,900 a week. And that is why uh, that small businesses get hit hard by minimum wage increases, because they tend to uh, hire and provide entry-level jobs for a lot of low-skilled workers. So it really makes no sense, particularly now, to raise minimum wages and hit hard the sector of the economy, small businesses that were hurt the hardest during the pandemic. And that's especially because if you actually look back to the last recession, uh, when we've, you know, the last increase in the federal minimum wage was instituted, we actually do have evidence um, that it harms job opportunities. There was a paper by Cato author uh, Jeff Clemens with Michael Wither that looked at the impact of of that um, that increase by looking at how it, uh, it, you know, how it impacted the the uplift in the minimum wage differently across states and use that variation to try and work out whether states where the uh, the, the minimum wage was more binding uh, saw fewer job opportunities uh, compared to states where the minimum wage increase was less binding. And they estimated that as a result of that increase to $7.25, there are at least a, a couple of hundred thousand fewer jobs. Now, this minimum wage increase would be much more aggressive over time than that. And uh, sometimes the impacts of minimum wages during economic expansions are kind of hidden in the short term because uh, demand for companies' uh, products and services are rising. Um, so a lot of firms that use kind of old production technologies and old ways of doing things are given a stay of execution because of the good economic conditions. When downturns like this hit, firms have to fundamentally reassess their cost base in light of uh, the struggles that they've gone through. So I think that this particular timing of telegraphing such a big increase in the minimum wage could be especially damaging. And we know from the last recession um, that uh, even minimum wage hikes to more modest levels had a detrimental impact in terms of job creation. 
Chris Edwards directs tax policy studies at the Cato Institute. Ryan Bourne holds the R. Evan Scharf Chair for the Public Understanding of Economics at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.